This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. Two people die every day on average from drug overdoses in San Francisco. Their bodies are taken to the San Francisco Medical Examiner's Office for autopsies. Dr. Luke Rada, the city's chief forensic toxicologist, helps examine them and count them. He recently started releasing monthly reports tracking the surge in drug overdose deaths. In October, there were 58. In the first 10 months of this year, there have been 563. That's a huge jump from 441 fatal overdoses in all of 2019. Rada joined me to discuss these alarming numbers and what the city should do about them. Dr. Luke Rada, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Heather. You just shared some um, more startling numbers with me regarding drug overdoses in San Francisco and particularly deaths. Um, there were another 58 deaths in October. Um, so we're now in the high 500s uh, for the whole year and probably on track to hit about 700 um, deaths from overdoses in 2020. Um, what do you feel seeing those numbers that you're sharing with the city every month? Yeah, it's, you know, on one, on one hand, it's really interesting having the numbers, you know, in paper, we can see this. We, we feel it every day. Um, this whole year and, and actually the last uh, couple of years have been really challenging for us. And when we actually put this data together, it, it really um, demonstrates what we're, what we're feeling from a day-to-day basis. Um, these numbers uh, don't seem to be going um, down. They seem to be increasing. We're hoping that they will plateau at least soon. But yeah, these numbers uh, really uh, continue to, to increase in the manner that we feel that we're <laughs> under pressure, you know, in the office um, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. So um, you're seeing on average about two bodies per day um, from drug overdoses, and that's been pretty true this whole year? Uh, yeah, yeah. This Throughout the 2020 year, um, as you mentioned before, we're, we're tracking towards um, almost, almost two a day. Um, and that's total overdoses, um, and specifically overdoses relating to accidental deaths. So these are people mm-hmm. who um, weren't intending to die. Um, they were using drugs, um, but they but they didn't intend to die. And this is, of course, opposed to other cases that we have, such as suicides or, or homicides or other natural diseases and, and, and cases that involve drugs. Um, and so these, again, uh, we, we think that um, over time, they will continue to hopefully uh, decrease um, mm-hmm. with, with more interventions, but that's what we're feeling now. And when did you really see this spike? I know it's climbed for the past few years, but when did it really jolt you like, wow, we've got a really serious problem? You know, um, really throughout 2017, we started to notice that we were getting uh, double the amount of fentanyl deaths from the previous year in 2016. Now, it wasn't nothing like the numbers now. It was really from, say, a dozen deaths in 2016 to about 20, 25 deaths in 2017. But that was enough to, or, to have an alert um, then. Um, and we started to notice fentanyl um, being detected in cases 
um, with methamphetamine also on board or cocaine. And so we start to notice situations um, where potentially people are using these drugs um, either mixed with stimulants such as methamphetamine or, or crack cocaine or used interchangeably. Um, and that's when we first started thinking that um, the opioid epidemic that the East Coast has been observing for some time and, uh, and here on the West Coast in San Francisco um, had been, you know, um, not as affected by the East Coast. But at that point, we started thinking that maybe um, it's starting to come across over here. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the telltale signs when a body comes in and you start examining it? How do you know that that this person died of a drug overdose? Yeah, you know, it starts really um, early. We have a team of investigators here who are 24-7. Um, they respond to notifications of deaths all around the city and the county. Um, and when they're on scene, um, they have a pretty good idea about if this death may be related to an overdose. Um, they've seen enough of these. They're, they're very well experienced. Um, they they witness um, and they interview um, either either family or friends or witnesses, and they start to get a pretty good idea if this case might be a drug overdose of some sort. Now, what we don't know at that point is what is the drug responsible or drugs responsible. Um, and so really the next uh, morning, so every morning, we have a morning meeting with the investigative team um, and they bring the cases that have been uh, received by their, dep- their division over the last 24 hours and they bring it to the medical and also the forensic laboratory divisions. And uh, we sit down together and, and triage each case as it comes in from the previous 24 hours. Uh, we get another idea then about what the case might look like. Um, the case then goes almost straight to autopsy that, that following morning. Um, and that's when the medical examiner uh, will start to perform their autopsy. They collect uh, biological specimens, blood and urine uh, from the decedent. And then it's our job in the forensic laboratory to start to test these uh, uh, biological specimens uh, for drugs, alcohol and poisons. Um, and that's really, so there's, there's science all throughout, but really the final sign is when we get the toxicology report and the medical examiner uh, views this report in conjunction with all the other investigative information and information observed at, at autopsy. And uh, that's when the final conclusion of, of a, uh, either a drug overdose or not has, um, uh, is, is proven. Mm-hmm. And what is this workload like for you? I know that the, with so many more bodies to examine from drug overdoses, um, I know the city is experiencing a major budget crisis right now. And so I imagine you're not getting a lot of new staff to to deal with it. So how are you managing? It's very difficult. I mean, um, another added factor is our work's a niche. Um, you know, forensic discipline, uh, forensic pathology is a niche, forensic toxicology. So it's also hard to recruit in general with our, with our work um, just because it's, it's not a, a, a large um, working population throughout the country. And so to get... Um, qualified, good people uh, can be somewhat challenging. So we already have that factor. And then, yes, of course, with um, such a a challenging year in 2020, um, it makes it even more difficult. Uh, However, you know, in terms of our forensic laboratory testing, um, we've been fortunate that the city's invested uh, in the last few years ago into a new facility. That's really helped us. Um, We would have been in in even a much more worse situation if we were still stuck at the Hall of Justice. 
Um, but our move to the new facility um, at the end of 2017 and accompanying um, equipment and, um, and new technologies has allowed us in the last couple of years to actually develop new methodologies that are state-of-the-art and, and, and cutting edge and um, allowed us to really be a lot more efficient in the work that we do. Um, and so that buffers it somewhat, you know, and that really helps um, us not get to um, backlogs that have been observed around the country um, and also still do quality work. So we're still finding all the drugs um, that are involved in, in, in the decedent, not just maybe one or two, but we can put, we can put together the whole, uh, the whole picture. So it is challenging, but we, um, we, you know, we're doing as best as we can and, um, and working as smart as we can, I guess, um, is probably the best way to put it. And I know that fentanyl is driving this. Is it usually that um, people are using drugs laced with fentanyl and they didn't even know that it was in there? Or I know also you just need a tiny amount as a regular dose. Are they taking too much or what tends to be the problem? Yeah, there's no one answer or, or, or um, one scenario that fits all of these cases. It seems to be a mix. Um, definitely now people on the street are using fentanyl intentionally. They know that this is um, powdered fentanyl. Um, San Francisco for a long time has had black tar heroin, um, of which other parts of the country haven't. They've had um, powdered heroin or, or other forms of opioids. And so that was um, a lot more difficult um, to discern between fentanyl and, say, heroin or fentanyl and another opioid. Um, and that was largely protective for some, for some years. But people on the street now, um, a lot of them do know that this is fentanyl. Um, however, it is still being mixed um, with other drugs, um, and whether it be, again, like I was saying before, crack cocaine or, or methamphetamine um, or in counterfeit or medications. Um, we do see those cases um, still from time to time. Um, but but there's there's really uh, great resources in, in the people, you, uh, drug harm reduction agencies and the DOPE project and um, other agencies like this who, who are really wor working with, uh, users on the street, and um, and they have a lot of information that that they can share about um, what they think are, uh, people are using intentionally or not. And how can you tell when you're doing your investigation? You know what caused it. Um, if you've told me before, you know someone may think they're buying a Xanax and it has fentanyl in it, or how do you determine all of that when you're investigating? Yeah. So one, I mean, one philosophy that um, you know I like to undertake, and, and we we bring now to this to our to our work is you know we test for everything all the time so instead of um in those morning meetings i mentioned earlier where we would get together and start to triage that case uh we've moved towards a an, a, an avenue um which is let's just test for everything all the time on all cases and that way we're, we're removing the bias uh we're also um looking for drugs that we uh, may not have found if we were targeting so you know, a perfect example is someone who um, the history from the family might be uh, the person had uh, you know, used methamphetamine regularly. Um, well, if we just targeted methamphetamine, we would miss, of course, maybe the fentanyl and, and um, the other mm. drugs, whether they're illicit or therapeutic on board. And so we really try to uh, remove that bias completely and test for everything. And, and so by doing that, even if we have someone um, who is, uh, buying Xanax and um, buying Xanax off the street. Um, whether that person does use other recreational drugs um, or not, 
we'll hopefully find them and we will find uh, if it's fentanyl um, or not. And so by that information, we can then say, okay, the, there's inf- investigative information that says Xanax was purchased and only Xanax, yet we found fentanyl. And then hopefully if we still have um, part of the Xanax tablet or other um, evidence of that Xanax tablet, we can actually go ahead potentially and, and test that to see if it's um, relevant in that case to determine if that Xanax pill did indeed have fentanyl in that. Now, we used to do that a lot more in previous years because uh, there was a lot fewer of those cases. However, now with, with let's say, crack cocaine and, and methamphetamine, a lot of those situations, um, a lot of these situations now are, are, um, where fentanyl is being um, used at the same time with the methamphetamine and in the same drug product. And so it's really well known in the community and, uh, and drug harm um, reduction agencies are already working with um, users on the street to make them aware of you know, life-saving measures like Narcan. Even if you are a stimulant mm-hmm. user, it's really important that Narcan is available for, for those people. And what exactly does taking too much fentanyl do to your body to kill it? Like, what do you see happen in the body um, that, you know, then kills the person? Yeah, well, the, the challenging fact with fentanyl is it's um, it's identical really to its feelings and, and um, the, the user's not going to feel much difference to, to heroin or other opioids. It, it acts in very much the same way as other opioids like heroin. It's just that it's a lot more potent, um, which can then, of course, make it a lot more difficult and risky to use and, and potentially be subject to an overdose. Um but telltale signs are similar to, to heroin. So you're going to have people who um, will start to maybe um, become lethargic, tired, um, decreased response. They may start to slump over. Um, and, and depending on the toxicity, whether it's a survived overdose, which the majority of overdoses are, they do go um, either survived um, uh, wherever they are or go to hospital and, and are survived there, um, or if eventually they do die, um, they may start to experience a whole range of symptoms. But eventually, if the toxicity is enough where it does cause death, uh, they will experience what we call central nervous system depression, which really means their respiratory rate, so that their lungs will start to um, stop breathing, uh, breathing, and that's essentially um, how they will, will die. Mm, wow. And I know some of your colleagues are responsible for the horrible job of calling the family to inform them that their loved one has died of a drug overdose. And what do they tell you about that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really difficult. And a lot of the time, um, uh, families are maybe unaware of drug use. Um, they may be aware of some drug use, but not um, other parts of, of, of drug use. So they have a really difficult time in having to be that, that first person to relay some terrible news to, to, you know, to family. Um, and it's it's every day, right? And um, and you know, there's there's situations where the people might be estranged and they they haven't been um, in contact with family for some time. And so even just the effort to to sometimes contact family can be challenging, um, if there's family at all to be contacted. Um, there's also situations, and sometimes I'm involved, um, where uh, you know I try to explain that um, drug products on the street are not regulated they have um, different potencies different different levels of of purity so to speak um, and so you know explain that 
um, not only can the purity of the drug be different and and that's how come maybe the you know the their loved one um, has overdosed but also um, even if they thought they were using a certain drug or uh, the family thought that the individual was using a certain drug often we find evidence that a person might be using uh, recreational drugs um, for some time and and that may not be known to the family always either mm -hmm. so it's a very yeah. tough and sensitive um, subject um, and you know uh, here at the department we're just in the you know, we're, we're trying to really help them get through that, give them the right information um, and do it as timely as possible and as, and as, as, uh, with, as caring as possible too. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I really appreciate that you're putting out the monthly statistics now because um, before, you know, we would go for a long time without finding up-to-date numbers on these deaths. Um, what do you hope that these monthly reports to the mayor and board of supervisors and others does? What do you want people to do with this information? I mean, we really hope it can just be used um, as really good information for people who are on the front line um, having to really... Um, uh, have the task of trying to decrease these um, overdoses on the streets. It's a really difficult job and there's nowhere um, around the country which has done it perfectly, around the world which has done it perfectly. There are really good schemes which, you know, um, other people in the city can can talk much more better to. But I'm hoping that this information and the demographics that it shows um, is used to help identify um, where the resources can be used best. Um, and, and really um, highlight in a, in a um, constructive manner um, the, the efforts that are needed for, 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 to reduce these deaths. Um, a lot of these are, of course, preventable. Um, it's it's um, a lot of work, you know, even just on a, it's a lot of work for the city to do these investigations and, you know, um, there's their, their lives at the end of the day, which, um, you know, again, if a preventable, preventable can be, can, um, uh, would be uh, really good to see if we can have these decrease. And and, and we've seen um, a lot of strategies uh, in other places work. San Francisco has led many strategies for decades um, on drug harm prevention. And uh, I think that in some, you know, on, on, in some way, because of the testing that we do and because of our thorough death investigation, uh, we present numbers which are higher than our counterparts in other Bay Areas. And I think that um, that's not necessarily just because we're the only county that's experiencing overdoses, but I think that by us doing these monthly reports, we're, we're really um, showing shedding a light on that. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think that it's important to not just think we're isolated in this. I think that we'll find that other counties around California and the West Coast are also experiencing that. And, you know, considering their thorough testing and, and their timeliness of reporting, um, they may also observe similar trends. 
I don't know how political you want to get, but what do you think that the city should do differently? There's a big debate about what is the proper response to drug dealing in particular, especially um, the police department says there's eight known uh, dealers of fentanyl who are the worst culprits in the tenderloin. Um, what do you think is the right response there? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, one also just still learning about uh, the city, the community in this country, just being mm-hmm. not from this country, it's even more difficult for me to comment on those type of things. But even in my role, it's I think it's um, there's better, pe- better people to comment on that. <laughs> I thought I'd give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I understand. <laughs> I, I, I will say that I really hope that, um, you know, there is um, safe injecting houses. Um, they do mm-hmm. they do work. I'm really hoping that yeah. that can push uh, work. Uh, we've se- seen it in my home country in Australia. Um, we, there was reduced deaths during that. So I, mm-hmm. I can speak to that and um, I hope something like that would, would, would play out in the future. Um, I think that's beneficial. Whereabouts are you from in Australia and what brought you to San Francisco? Uh, from Melbourne, Australia. Um, uh-huh. well, San Francisco. So, you know, I was at a conference in 2015 and um, at, at a forensic toxicology, the international conference, and I was uh, basically asked by the former director here if I'd be interested in San Francisco. Um, he knew that I was, you know, interested in looking um, at somewhere else. I'd been working at... Uh, the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine in, in, in Melbourne for 10 years. I, I did my, done my PhD there. I had some great mentors there who, who really gave me a great understanding and appreciation of our, our work and our discipline. And uh, I was looking at Europe, actually, to, to find some work there and move there. Um, but he mentioned San Francisco. And at first, I never thought to ever, ever come into the US. But um, after looking at San Francisco, I, I actually thought, this could work. And with some more encouragement, I looked into, you know, the, the culture, the food, the coffee scene and, and some of the arts. <laughs> and I found that it's actually not um, too different to Melbourne and in those respects. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm glad I did. It's been an, a great opportunity. Um, it's, it's a huge challenge here. I've I, you know, really walked into a, a really big challenge, but, you know, we've been given some great tools with a new facility and some equipment and so we're trying to do um, the best work we can and hopefully have a leading forensic facility um, in the country. So um, that's what kind of brought me to San Francisco. It's it's really funny how things work out, but um, yeah. I'm super excited to be here. And, and uh, what I thought might have been just two years is now already about four and a half years. So mm-hmm. um, time flies and I hope I yeah. can continue doing the work. What prompted you to get involved in this line of work in the first place? It seems like it could be kind of dark and depressing. You know, I always was um, always wanted to help people. My sister and I were always wanted to be um, doctors and help people. And growing up, I thought pharmaceutical science and pharmacy sounded really interesting. And I got into a university degree specific for that. But in my second year, I had a lecture from my now um, mentor, um, Professor Olaf Drummer, about forensic toxicology. And I'd never heard about forensic toxicology. I never heard much about forensics. I did not know much about it. I never watched a uh, forensic uh, TV show. <laughs> and in fact, I don't think I've ever still watched a full episode of a, of a TV show. Uh, I don't think you're missing much. <laughs> okay. I think it would make um, me a bit depressed considering how, yeah. how well they do. I, I hear they do very well in 45, <laughs> minutes, 45 minutes time. 
Um, yeah, it's always resolved. Yeah, so their, their turnaround times beat ours by a long shot. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I, listening to this lecture, I was fascinated. And so instead of um, my, my following year was a, a full year as an intern and um, at the university, and I opted instead to go with Big Pharma um, to opt for this one position that was available at the Forensic uh, Institute. And luckily, after interviewing, they gave me that, in, uh, that intern position and I never left. And um, I always maintained uh, a position throughout my university degree there and then became a, a forensic toxicologist, undertook my PhD and really just, um, I found it really fascinating. I, I found it fascinating to see um, what drugs can do on a toxicity level. On, on, you know, we know about the benefits of drugs and how they help um, with disease and, and, and medicine. But um, for me, it was really fascinating to see um, the flip side of that and to, to yeah. be involved with that. Great. Well, you've survived my serious questions and now it's time for our lightning round. Great. Where, <laughs> where in the city is your favorite place to get a burrito? Oh, a burrito. Um, my wife picked out a great place and uh, we really enjoy it. I think it's called, um, uh, what is it called? I think it's called Al Takaria. In the Mission? In the Mission, yes. On the 16th, I think it is, or around there. Yeah, Al Takaria. Right. That's, that's our favorite spot. We, we just drive past it and if there isn't a big line, that's when we usually try to stop in. Yeah. Uh, what's your? I know these questions are hard because you're pretty new to the <laughs> to the city in the states, but just do your best. Um, what is your uh, favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Uh, favorite movie? Um, really, I think before moving here, all I knew of was um, Pursuit of Happiness, and uh, yeah, and I think it's The Rock, right? Is the other one? Yeah, Sean Connery. Yeah, that's the one. But I think um, recently there was a movie that came out, and I forgot the name. Um, it was a smaller film. And it was actually around, I saw it filmed around the Bayview. Um, Last Black Man in San Francisco? Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah that's probably my favorite yeah. favorite one so far. Those are all three good. Yeah, and, you know, um, I just learned about the city and seeing some of, the, some of those, um, the footage and seeing uh, really how, um, knowing, knowing, you know, uh, some of the people and how, how things are here, it was really fascinating to watch that. Yeah, it's a good one. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Can I defer to uh, breweries? I, I think I. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I, I love uh, the fact that there is a, such a strong brewery um, culture, and I love how yeah. our locals really um, want to support local small business and particularly brewing in that situ- in, in breweries. And so I mm-hmm. love uh, visiting Laughing Monk, um, mm-hmm. the local, which is on Bluxton Street, and and even mm-hmm. Speakeasy. They're probably mm-hmm. three of my favourites to to see what. Um, uh, new beers they they have rotating on the taps. What is the biggest difference between Australia and the United States? Well, great question. You know, um, the east coast of Australia, M- Melbourne and Sydney um, uh, cities, and the west coast of the US are very similar in in many yeah. ways. The the people I feel like they're very similar, um, and even in, in part of the whole U- US. I think that um, Australians and and Americans have a real uh, really strong bond and and um the americans are always so welcoming um particularly if you, you're from um out of the country I, I often feel like uh they're, they're you know welcome and, and love to chat and talk about where you're from um so the similarities um is is probably that that um open to to chatting and, and being hospital hospitable in that in that scenario mm-hmm. 
um, I, I find that uh, less of a culture shock. Um, and yeah. also, I think, particularly here in San Francisco, and this is what I guess um, really encouraged me to move here was, you know, again, the food scene, having a, a good proper food scene that's multicultural. Yeah. Melbourne's very multicultural. Um, we have access to a lot of great food and uh, um, and San Francisco really benefits from that too. But San Francisco has, you know, much better Mexican and, and um, <laughs> Central and South American food. So uh, Peruvian, I fell in love with Peruvian food. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's been really fantastic. Nice. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Whew. I think it's um, I need to go out and uh, – Play some basketball. Uh, <laughs> just, just, just get out and and um, actually move my body a bit and uh, and and shoot around. That's been really fun. Um, I enjoy it. It's also a good opportunity to to um, uh, meet people down the, uh, at the basketball court and 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 uh, yeah and sort of relax and um, and de stress that way. Yeah, I'm sure you need it after your work day. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. It was nice to talk to you. Thanks so much, Heather. Thank you to Dr. Luke Rada for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.